All right, kids, you're dismissed for Children's Church. They told me I'd be shot if I didn't say that, so. It's great to be here. Obviously, I have a cold, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, it's uh, really fun for Jan and I to come and visit. Uh, we can relate to Pastor Tom and Cherie. We just dropped our kids off in Minnesota two weeks ago. Uh, there'll be a picture up there in a second of, of them. And they go to university up, up there. And we're hoping our son has a little less fun this year than he did his freshman year. So <laughs> somehow all his furniture exited the building via the second floor window. And uh, he said, we would have put the couch through, but it just wouldn't fit. So, but he said, Dad, it was funny. The university didn't think it was that funny, and he got a little bill in the mail, but that's okay. So it's great to be with you, and uh, I'm so glad you're part of Converge Rocky Mountain. We're going to talk a little bit about our shared mission in a little bit, but in your program, your bulletin this morning, I just put in a, a big package of material, so when the message gets really slow, you can just read through that stuff. But we have a group of churches that are just passionate about reaching our world, and, and one of our projects right now is called Engage Haiti. And after the earthquake, a bunch of churches said, we want to do more than just send money. Put something together for us. So this summer, we sent four teams over to some of the most destructive, uh, the the darkest places in Haiti to go in and to just love them and to build things and to to help them with medical things. And and we're going to continue to do this for the next 10 or 15 years. We've made a long-term commitment. So if you want to be a part of that, I'd love for you to be a part of that. Another thing that that we said was, you know, the fact that Utah is 98% unchurched. That bothers us, and we want to see more churches started there. So we're going to try to start five churches in five years in the Salt Lake, kind of Provo, Ogden area, which is a huge challenge, but, but we're all behind that. So read up on that stuff. If you want to get more information, there's also a, a little envelope you can fill out, and uh, it'll give you our e-newsletter if you want to be a prayer partner or a financial investor. This really isn't my thing. This is our thing. It's our churches working together uh, to uh, really reach this region for Christ. So... Love to talk to you after the service about that. Well, this morning, as you start a new school year, as you start a new season of ministry, I thought I would just kind of remind us all of the big plans that God has in store for all of us. I mean, he has amazing things that he wants to do through each one of us. Sometimes we forget that. So this morning, we're going to look at that. But before we look at God's word, let's pray. Father, this morning, just uh, um, I just want to get out of the way, and, and I want you to speak. Uh, You know everyone in this room. You know what you want to say to them this morning. And so I just ask that we'll all be listening, including me. Pray that you'll protect my voice and help me to get through this. But uh, Lord, help us to leave here having heard your voice and and ready to do some great things for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We like to take our kids skiing. One of their favorite places is Breckenridge. One Saturday a couple years ago, we took them up there, and James and Rebecca were up on the slopes skiing, and Jan and I kind of hide ourselves away in Maggie's restaurant, which is down at the bottom of the hill, where it's warm and safe, and we were enjoying a little alone time together, when all of a sudden, my son James came bursting through the back door. He had his goggles on, they were all fogged up, and his face was all flushed, and he was grinning from ear to ear. He said, Dad, you'll never believe this. They have this secret run up there and it's got rails and jumps on it. And I was coming through about 70 miles an hour and and I I hit a bump and I caught some air. My skis went into two different directions and I almost hit a tree. And then this kid on a snowboard went, whoa, nice one, dude. (laughs) Dad, you should have been there. Can I have money for pizza? He always ends with that. But uh, James had a great story to tell and he just couldn't wait to get it out. And as I sat there listening to him, 
I, I could tell that, you know, listening to a great story is kind of fun. Maybe even a little inspiring. But looking at James, I could tell the real joy, the real thrill, the real excitement is found when you actually live a great story. I mean, don't we all dream about accomplishing significant things with our lives? Don't we all dream about attempting things and achieving things that push us past the norms of everyday existence? I mean, we don't want to just listen to somebody else's stories. We want to have our own story to tell. I mean, when you drop that six by trophy elk from that shot from 200 yards away that you bounced off the rock through the prairie dog and into the elk and brought it down, how fast is it before you tell that story to someone else? You'll tell that story a million times. Just ask your wife. Here we go. Or how about when you get that $100 pair of shoes on sale for six bucks? I bet you're on your cell phone before the cashier can even get the shoes in the sack. Hey, you'll never believe. Don't you want to live a great story? I think we all do. And do you know why that desire is there? It's there because God put it there. God has created us to live lives of incredible spiritual adventure. And forget about the, you know, the hunting and the, the shopping or any other earthly endeavor for that matter. The Lord has called you and I to be his partners, to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors on this earth. He's created us to to live stories that will have eternal significance on and on and on. How do I know all this? Well, the Bible tells us so. First, God's word tells us that we have been equipped to live great stories. Uh, Paul declares in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and look at this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you may look in the mirror and you say, boy, you know, I wish I was better looking. I wish I was more talented. I, I really don't have much to offer. But that's a lie. The truth is you have been handcrafted by the God of the universe. And he's given you a unique personality and unique spiritual gifts, and unique passions, and a unique background so that you can make a unique impact for his kingdom. She already has God's plan written all over her. You have already been equipped to do great things. But beyond that, you haven't just been equipped, you have also been empowered. Think about Acts 1.8. Jesus defeats death on the cross, He comes back, he spends 40 days with his followers, loving them, encouraging them, teaching them how to carry on kingdom work that he started. You know, he gives them the great commission to go into the world and make more disciples. But before he leaves, he gives them one more promise. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power. The Greek word here is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, my representatives in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be given dynamite power. Over in Luke 24 and 49, Jesus describes it this way. He says that his followers will be clothed with power from on high. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and you get to get dressed up in the very power of God. That's not a bad deal, is it? Now, let me ask you this. Do you really need extra power if God's ultimate plan for you is to live some kind of mundane, milk toast existence? 
you know, where you wake up and you brush your teeth and you eat your oatmeal and you go to class or you go to work and you endure the nine to five and you come home and you eat supper and you watch Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader and realize, no, I'm not smarter than a fifth grader. And you go to bed and you wake up and you brush your teeth and eat your oatmeal and on and on every day, same old, same old, like a hamster on a wheel, your life never goes anywhere. Do you need extra divine power for that kind of a life? No. Even as a church, if God's ultimate plan is for you to just kind of play church, go through the motions, look nice on Sunday mornings, exchange nice pleasantries out there, sing nice songs, have a nice message, plan a nice doable budget around what you were able to give last year, dream nice doable dreams well within your own human abilities. Do you really need extra divine power for that kind of a life as a church? I don't think so. You see, the only reason that Jesus informs us, his people in Acts 1.8, that they would be infused with God's incredible power is because at that moment, Jesus was inviting his people to follow him into a missionary adventure that was gonna be so awesome and overwhelming that there was no way in and of themselves they could carry it out through their own human abilities. And the same is true for us. The evangelistic mission that we face, the spiritual battle that we're involved in, the call to move people from eternal death to eternal life, to literally live as the kingdom of God on earth. There's no way we can do that all by ourselves. The only prayer we have is to plug into God's power and to hang on for the ride. And you see, if you do that, he'll give you some amazing stories to tell. John says to his followers in John 14, 12, anyone who has faith in me will do the things I have done. While Jesus was on the earth, he did some pretty amazing things. And he said, you guys are gonna do exactly the same thing I did. And even greater things than these because I'm going to my father. Jesus says, you're gonna do greater things than I did because now my spirit is gonna be at work within all of you. So you have Peter, an ordinary fisherman. I don't know if he went after tuna, probably not, but he might've, right? He gets up and gives his first sermon. 2,000 people respond to his message. I don't think Jesus had ever seen a response like that. Was it that Peter was such a great speaker? Not at all. It was that the power of God was at work in an ordinary fisherman. And God did amazing things. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 empowered missionaries to change their corner of the world. It says these folks returned with joy. Just like my son James, they came through the back door. Jesus, you should have been there. We saw lives changed. We saw people healed. We saw Satan defeated again and again. You see, they were living the supernatural story they were created to live. They were discovering all this hidden potential they didn't know they had in their lives, uncovering all of these gifts and abilities that they didn't know were there. They were living the story that God had written for them and joy erupted all over the place because joy always comes when we're living the story God prepared us to live. The same thing is true for us. You'll have that same experience if you make yourself available and say, Lord, use my life in big ways. Listening to great stories is fine, but the real joy, the real thrill is gonna come when you actually start living great stories for God. So how do you do that? What's the, what's the secret if you really wanna go after this? Well, you need two things. First of all, to live great stories, you need to believe in a great God. You need to believe in a great God. I think oftentimes we don't step up, we don't get off the bench, 
We don't really get into the game because we vastly underestimate the abilities of the God we serve. I mean, I see it happen in my own life when I get afraid, when I get worried, when I pull back from an obvious God opportunity. I can almost always trace it back to the fact that I have made my God too small. Well, even with God's help, I, I couldn't lead that Bible study. Even with God's help, I couldn't help that needy person over there. Even with God's help, I could never share my faith with my friend. Even with God's help, I couldn't. We make our God so small at times. The disciples had this problem in Luke chapter 8. They're caught in a storm at sea. They had exhausted themselves. They couldn't gain control of the craft. The wind is howling. The waves are crashing in over the side of the boat. They finally go and wake up Jesus. They were, they were terrified. Jesus, we're all going to die. Jesus was sleeping. I love this picture, you know, all this storm, and there's Jesus sleeping. I'm sure he got up and he went, guys, what's the big deal? And with a word, he calmed the wind and the waves, and he brought peace to the lives of his disciples. And, and they were amazed. Over in, in Luke eight twenty five, they say, who is this? Who is this? He commands even the wind and the waves, and they obey him. You see, the disciples had no idea of the kind of power with them in the boat that day. They had a tiny view of God, but Jesus decides to give them the big picture. And you see, if we're going to live great stories for God, we need to cultivate a big picture view of God ourselves. Because you see, it doesn't really matter how gifted you think you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how big your budget is. It doesn't matter where your church is located. If you want to live great stories for God, what matters is who's in the boat with you. And last time I looked, Jesus is in your boat. Huh? That was my Minnesota coming out. Boat. So, um, but he is, and that's all that matters. We need to cultivate the same mentality that carried the Apostle Paul through an amazing life of ministry. In Ephesians 3.20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Notice, according to his power, that it's at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God gets the glory because it's his power that's at work in us. He gets all the credit, but God is able to do so much more than we could ask of him or even imagine of him. We have a big God. You know, scientists today, they're debating the universe. You know, they're they're trying to figure out what's a planet, what's not. Pluto got demoted to a semi-planet, which was, I like his cartoons. He deserved a planet. They say the moon is shrinking now, and now they're going to send a rocket to the sun. Have you seen this? They're going to send a rocket to the sun. They're sending it at night, so it'll be a little cooler, but... Uh, <laughs> that was an old joke, sorry. Um, but it seems like the more they try to figure it out, the more confused they get. But our God doesn't get confused. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He created it with a flick of his wrist. He put it all in order, all in motion. We have a big God. Our God is, is all-knowing. He's never surprised. Our God is all-powerful. He's never defeated. Our God is all present. He's not absent in any situation. We have a big God. Our God is trustworthy. Our God is faithful. Our God will provide. We have a big God. Do you believe that? Sorry about the that. Yes. Well, it was close. Okay. Do you believe that? Yes. That's getting better. Okay. 
And I'm not talking just about a simple intellectual agreement. Oh yeah, we have a big God, I'm supposed to say that. I'm talking about a belief that grips you at the core of your being, so much so that it actually changes how you live your life. Because you see, if you live with a big picture view of God, you're gonna be able to risk and step out in faith and tackle confidently whatever challenge he puts in front of you or puts in front of this church. Believe in a great God. That's the first step to living amazing stories, but there's more. Uh, Secondly, to live great stories, you need to, to act on your belief. You need to act on your belief, right? The, 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 uh, Peter could have believed that Jesus would give him the power to walk on water. But when did he write his story? It was when he stepped out of the boat, wasn't it? What about a brave group of pioneers about 30 years ago when this church wasn't here, when it was just a vision? And they said, we're gonna, we're gonna make this happen. We're gonna start a new church. I know Pastor Ron Chevlin. I think he was the first pastor here. He's a crazy guy. But he had a bunch of crazy people around him. I think Roy and Lynn and a bunch of other people, they said, God, there's nothing here, but we believe there will be. And so we're gonna step out in faith. You are here this morning because those pioneers believed God was big enough to plant this church. And it's here today and growing because of it. It's amazing. And I know there's been times of transition. I know there's been times of challenge, but there's also been a lot of smiles because joy can't help but come when we're living the story God has created us to live. You can experience that kind of kingdom joy. Believe in a great God and then act on your belief. Make yourself available. Use your spiritual gifts. Don't just discover them, use them. Take a risk. Be willing to minister outside your comfort zone. Trust God for big things and he will give you some amazing stories to tell. Let me give you a couple stories from our family, from the Mitten family. When we first got married 25 years ago, this September 21st, uh, <laughs> my wife, Jan, said, I'll support you in ministry, but there's two things I'll never do. I don't want to plant a church, and I don't want to be a missionary in Africa. Too scary. But I'll, I'll, you can do anything else you want to do. So for a while, I did some safe associate stuff, and, and all of a sudden, tragedy struck. I got a hankering to do something different, and that whole church planting thing looked a little enticing. So I went to my lovely wife and I bared my soul. I was honest and open. And I said, honey, as I've prayed about it, I've just asked God, and it seems like we should plant a church. Can we do that? To which she said, no. No. Okay, so, but she did agree to pray about it. It was a little louder no than that. But uh, so we prayed for three months. And we got back together on a Saturday. Well, we weren't separated for, but... On a particular Saturday, we prayed in the morning, and then in the afternoon, I held her hand, and I looked into her eyes, and I said, I still remember that. And, and, and she looked at me, and she said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but God wants us to start a church. My wife was scared to death. She was miles outside of her comfort zone, but she believed God was big enough to help us tackle that challenge he'd put on both of our hearts. She stepped out in faith and God rewarded her big time. That church that we started 12 or 13 years ago now averages four to 5,000 people every Sunday. Thousands of people have found Christ there. Families have been healed, missionaries sent out. And I don't know if that would have happened if Jan had refused to follow God's call, but she didn't. And God gave her a great story to tell. The second church that we planted was not huge, it was tiny. Our second year, we had no money. 
A lot of people wanted to just close the doors and shut it down. But there was a little handful of people that said, no, we believe God started this for a reason, so let's trust him to get us through. So we did. Our salary was cut. They paid, um, gave us a little money for food and, and helped us with our house payment, but that was it. Um, you know, and I can remember saying, Lord, this is bleak. If you don't show up, we're going to die. But then God started to show up. We started to get those miracle checks in the mail. People donated sound equipment. Attendance started to go up. One of my favorite stories from that period of time was the fact that our Ford Aerostar minivan broke down. We had no money, but I took it to the mechanic anyway. He called me back. He said, well, I've got good news and bad news. Bad news is you've got a blown head gasket and your transmission is all messed up. It's going to be pretty expensive to fix. The good news is I went back and checked your extended warranty. You still have 142 miles on your warranty, so everything is covered. won't cost you a dime. How good is God? I didn't know he was keeping track of my warranty like that, but I, I appreciated that a lot. At the end of that tough year, not only had we made our full budget, they paid me all my back salary. We had $8,000 left over for our land and building account. We were at that church last summer. And I saw all these new families. And I thought, you know what? This church is here. It didn't die the second year because a brave handful of leaders said, Lord, we're going to trust you. Write a story through us. And all kinds of people have been saved at that church as well. You know, maybe you've seen God use your life in that way to make an eternal difference. The truth is God has, has great stories, God stories that are written for everyone in this room. He has already equipped you. He's already empowered you. You already have that potential within you. He's just waiting for you to get out of the boat and make yourself available to him. And now more than ever, we need Rocky Mountain Christians to take a stand for their faith. I want to talk a little bit now just about our situation. You're, you're talking about being missionaries in this church, and that's very true. Um, we need to support our international missionaries, um, and we do, we, and we're sending teams to Haiti. But the fact of the matter is, the harsh reality is, we have some major missions work to do right here in our backyard. So let me just give you a little bit of an overview on the area that we're kind of responsible for in the Rocky Mountain West. Uh, Dave Olson, in his book, The American Church in Crisis, first of all, he notes that, that if the current trend continues, average church uh, attendance is declining in every state but Hawaii. If the current trend continues in 2050, church attendance will be half of what it is today. In uh, the present future, Reggie McNeil, when he looks at when people were born and if they're born again, he found that, that 65% of builders, people born before 1946, when they were surveyed, uh, 65% said they had a saving faith in Jesus Christ. For boomers born 1946 to 61, that percentage drops to 35%. For busters born between 62 and 76, only 15% that say that they have a saving faith in Christ. And when they interviewed um, bridgers born between 76 and 81, when they were asked about their faith, the number proclaiming Jesus as Lord was 4%. 4%. You guys have your work cut out for you. You really do. You're in the minority. You need to be bold for Christ in reaching your generation and, and beyond. Let's move a little closer to home. Over the last decade, we started, when, when you look at evangelical churches along the front range, we ended up with 140 more uh, than we had 10 years ago. That sounds great, but just to keep up with population growth, we needed to start 560 new churches. We're losing ground. We're only planting about a third of the churches that we need to be planting. 
Um, how about this? The Rocky Mountain region is the second most unchurched region in the country. Like I said, Utah is 98% unchurched. There's towns of 30,000 people that don't have one evangelical Christian church. Um, uh, Colorado is not much better. It's about 86% unchurched, which means that almost nine out of 10 of the people that you go to school with, that you work with, that you hunt with, that you shop with, almost nine out of 10 are headed for a Christless eternity in hell unless God's people choose to do something about it. I mean, who's gonna touch them with the love of Christ? Who's gonna touch them if God's people won't go? Who's gonna tell them about the good news in Jesus Christ if God's own people remain silent? Can you see why God birthed this church in Gunnison 30 years ago? Can you see why he's given you sustained, renewed life? Because he has a critical mission for you to carry out in this corner of Colorado. Can you see why, why Converge Rocky Mountain is so important? The Lord is raising up churches across Colorado, Wyoming, western Nebraska, Utah, and hopefully soon New Mexico. Because there's thousands of people that Jesus needs to touch, and he wants to touch them through us. Is it a great challenge? Sure. Do we have a great God? You know we do. Converge Rocky Mountain is, is convinced that we have a, a major role to play in reclaiming our region for Christ. We also believe that our churches are going to be more effective if we work together. You know, our, effect, our effectiveness is going to increase exponentially if we're praying for each other, if we're learning from each other, if we're sharing our resources together. We are stronger together. And so right now, Converge Rocky Mountain, we're focused on three specific areas that we think will make us an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. It's laid out in your red brochure that you got, and you can look at that later. You don't have to look at it now. But first of all, we want to equip our people. We want our churches working together so that every believer, every leader is well-equipped for their area of ministry. We want pastors and, and leaders to be just experts in all the fields of ministry so that we can really be at uh, uh, hitting on all cylinders as we reach out into the world. The second thing we want to do is help our churches become better engaged in their communities. We need to be salt and light in a very dark world. What you're doing to help the hunger population in, in Gunnison, and I hope you give generously to that because that is a great example of engagement. That is something that I'll brag about to all of our other churches, and you'll be the model. You'll set the standard to say, here's how they're reaching into their community. But the third thing we want to do is expand our redemptive impact by planting new churches. 30 years ago, there was a bunch of Converge Rocky Mountain churches that said, let's help that group in Gunnison get started. And so they all joined together and sent money and they prayed and sent people and, and they, they really helped. And we want to continue that legacy. We want our current churches to continue to support new churches as they get underway. Our, missions, <clears throat> our mission statement, excuse me, is this allowed? I know it is. Ah, so good. Warm, warm Diet Coke, that's so good. Our mission statement is Converge Rocky Mountain, churches together, transforming lives and communities. Churches together, transforming lives and communities. Accurate Bible teaching and powerful worship and close fellowship, those are all important, but we want to measure our, su our success as a group of churches by the number of transformed lives and communities that we see. That's really what it's all about. Are people a little more loving? Are they a little more generous? Are they a little more obedient, a little more like Christ? Are our communities a little bit more like the kingdom of God because of the influence of a converged Rocky Mountain church? Together, we can reclaim our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria for the kingdom of God. And you guys are such an important part. I mean, you're leading the way. You're helping a lot of other churches learn and grow 
And I want to thank you for that. Thanks for your prayers. Please pray for me. I'm in a different church almost every Sunday. It's great in one sense because I see a lot of different ministries going on, but it gets tiring after a while. So pray for me and pray that I'll have wisdom as I lead our group of churches. Thanks for your financial investments. Thanks for allowing Pastor Tom to, to be so involved in what we're doing. Really appreciate that. But I know that God still has stories that he wants to write through you. There are people that he wants to lift up. There's hungry people he wants to feed. There are broken people that he wants to mend. There's lost people he wants to bring back into his kingdom. And he may just do it through you. I'm not exactly sure what story God has written for you, but it is no accident that you live where you live. It's no accident that you go to school where you go to school. It's no accident that you have the spiritual gifts and passions that you have, the strategic friendships you have, the financial resources you have. Before the foundation of the world, God knew the stories he wanted to write through you and write through the life of this church. David writes in Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God set the stage. He has prepared you for great things. He's just waiting for you to say, Lord, I'm available. And he'll do great things with your life. Let me close with one last story. In our previous church, we had a little boy named Anders. Anders was born, and he looked beautiful on the outside, but he had major uh, problems on the inside. His whole intestinal tract didn't work. His parents, Craig and Sandy, crisscrossed the country trying to find uh, some doctor to remedy the situation, but they never could. Anders spent most of his life in the hospital. Multiple surgeries, blood tests were done, all kinds of different things, poked and prodded. Um, you know, but the thing was, he was known as the happiest kid around. I go into the hospital, I say, where's Anders? They say, listen for his laugh. And I walk down the hallway and I hear a little belly laugh coming out of a room and I go in and there's Anders, tubes coming out his nose, his arms all strapped down. But something in that room just tickled his fancy, and he was just giggling to beat the band. Person after person said, how does he stay so happy? He's unbelievable. His mom was with him almost every day. Tough on her, she had a little girl with Down syndrome back at home. And often I wondered, how do you hold up under this? She said, well, God is my strength. And I believe I'm here for, for more than just Anders. You see, there's hurting people throughout this hospital, parents that don't know the Lord. And while I'm here, I just want to be Jesus to them. Well, after two years of testing, two years of surgery, two years of intense prayer, Anders died. And it crushed his family and it crushed our church. But here's the thing, 400 people showed up for his funeral. The vast majority were doctors and medical staff that had been involved in his situation. The nurses said, this is so unbelievable. Doctors don't come to things like this. But Anders was special. He was special because of his testimony, because of the testimony of his family. People accepted Christ right there at the funeral. One nurse and, and her family started to attend our church. One by one, they all put their faith in Christ. One by one, they were all baptized. Anders only lived a little while on this earth and maybe God only had one story for that little guy to tell. But it was a great one. And so was the story his family told of, of incredible joy and strength in the face of adversity. That's the difference that Jesus can make. And you've got to believe that you're still here this morning because God is not done writing stories through you. Please don't settle for just living your life after earthly endeavors. Don't live your whole life on a hamster wheel going nowhere. You were created. You've been gifted for so much more than that. Trust God for big things. Step out in faith. 
and be amazed at what God will do through you. Don't you want to live a great story? Let's pray. Father, you know everyone in this room. Before they were born, you knew them inside and out. And you, you were tickled to death. You rejoiced over them and you saw their potential. I pray for all of us. If we've been sidetracked, if we've been, our vision's been blurred by junk that's been thrown at us, that Lord, you'll help us to see again what we were created for. Show us our unique contribution to your kingdom and help us to live it out with all of our heart. Oh, Lord, thank you for involving us in your incredible redemptive work. And there is joy when we follow you and live the story that you've created us to live. Thanks for this church. Bless them in powerful ways this year. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.